As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us do just that. Let's read it together. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Exodus chapter 6, verse 27, through chapter 7, verse 13. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 52. Again, the text is Exodus 6:27 through 7:13, found on page 52 of the Blue Pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will, tell, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people of Israelites, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of the Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret acts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Thank you, Ron. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, apart from your spirit, these words are dead. Father, apart from your spirit, uh, Father, there will be no life. There will be no transformation. There will be no hope. And so, Father, please, by the spirit of Jesus Christ, would you surprise us with your love? Surprise us with your power. Surprise us with your plans and purposes for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time on Exodus, we heard uh, God say to Moses, look in chapter 6, verse 10, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. Verse 12, But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why should, they listen, why should Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak? with faltering lips. And what we have here, if you look in your text, if you look in your, in your, in your Bible, it's on page 52 of your pew Bible, you'll see here there's sort of an interruption that speaks of Moses' uh, genealogies, Moses and Aaron's genealogy, as found in verses 13 all the way through 27. 
And uh, our, our text, the text that Ron read for us this morning, began in verse 28. So I want you to see the connection here. There's this interruption of a genealogy, but what the, what the, what the narrative does is it ends with w- the words of Moses, if, verse 12, if the Israelites would not listen to me, why would, they listen, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? And then in verse 28, you have the story picked up right where it left off, where you have this, this, this immediate repetition. Verse 28, now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt everything I tell you. Verse 30, but Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, we just saw that in verse 12, why would Pharaoh listen to me? So the story is picked back up, but you have this genealogy right uh, smack dab in the middle of the story. And I want to Spend just a few minutes to talk about that. But I want to back up real quick to verse 12. Verse 12, again, I'll read it just a third time. If the Israelites, says Moses, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Do you hear the cynicism? I mean, Moses is neck deep. In fact, really, he's drowning. I mean, he is in this situation that he can't get out of. Think of the regret. Think of the frustration. Think of the sense of what was I thinking? Take I should have stayed in. I should have stayed in Midian, just watching over my sheep. But there's a threefold cynicism in that verse. In verse twelve, first is a cynicism about the people of God. You ever get ever get cynical about the people of God? You ever get cynical about the church? What does Moses say? If the Israelites will not listen to me. I mean, here's Moses. He's come with his staff. He's performed these miracles. Right? I've, this is what I've seen. I've seen, Mo, I've seen God in the burning bush. I've done, I've done these miracles for you. They're still not listening. The people of God, and it's going to get worse, guys. I mean, Exodus go on here. You're going to see the people of God go worse. It's going to get worse before it gets better. In fact, in some ways, it doesn't. This, this ex, you know what happens to the Exodus generation. I mean, if you don't, read ahead. Okay? Now, if this kind of thing isn't sobering for you, does it, if it doesn't cause self-reflection, okay, these, these, these slaves in Egypt saw all the wonders. Not just that Moses did. They're going to see all the plagues. They're going to see the Red Sea. They're going to go in the wilderness. They're going to experience the manna. They're going to see water come from a rock. They're going to see all of this, this amazing feats, these wonders that Yahweh will provide, and they will all die in the wilderness, grumbling in unbelief. Full stop. If that doesn't cause self-reflection, if it doesn't cause maybe even a cynicism, as we look at the church, right? As you look at the, I mean, are we not right? Is, is Moses' cynicism about the church not founded? <laughs> right? So first, there's a cynicism about the people of God. But second, there's a cynicism in verse 12 about political power. If the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Right? I mean, there is a profound cynicism about, about I mean, why wouldn't there? I mean, this is Pharaoh. And we Americans have, the, I don't know, it's just, I get so confused sometimes by, by I just, I look at our country, I get so confused. Then on one hand, I feel like I'm, Americans are, love to hate on their politicians. We love to do it. 
We just, we just, I mean, you look at Twitter, people are just destroying Biden, Trump, you just name it, whoever it is, they're just, they're just, it's just, it's just a bloodbath. And yet we still expect so much from our politicians. (laughs) They were so hopeful that they're going to do something. They were so like, you know what I mean? So there's one thing, there's this cynicism. There's still this expectation that they better perform. They better, I mean, it's just, I, I don't understand it. But, but, but for Moses, there's this deep cynicism, first, about the people of God. Second, about political power. But what's the third, what's the rest of the verse say? Who else is, cyn- is Moses cynical about? It's himself. His own personal abilities. If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I, what, speak with faltering lips? Hebrew is literally uncircumcised of lips. The idea is that, that uh, as we just speak normally, we're not very gifted, but we need to be trained. We need to, be, we need to have eloquence. We need rhetoric. And we don't know this, as I mentioned before, but it's likely that, that Moses had some sort of speech impediment. Now think about that. You go into the, the court of Pharaoh, and you're stuttering, or you can't enun- pronounce your words. And that's why I said, we said at almost at every level, Moses seems to be the last person on earth that God would, should choose to be the deliverer of his people. So the question I have for you is, is Moses wrong? Is he right to be cynical about God's people? Is he right to be cynical about the princes of this world? Is he right to be cynical about his own personal abilities? I mean, how is he wrong here? God, Moses, the Lord says to Moses, verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 10 and 11, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of, out of the country. This is what, obey, do this. And God's command seems so empty, so pointless. Why would I even bother? Your people don't listen. Pharaoh's not going to listen. And I, I don't have what it takes. The cynicism is so deep. And I, and I just, I don't know exactly. I'm going to be honest. I've, I've read seven or eight commentaries here on this. But I don't exactly know why personally you have this, this, uh, this, uh, this genealogy right here in the narrative. All I know is it comes at the really what's the low point of the story. I mean, things have kind of hit bottom in terms of... Um, you know, God's purposes in, in Egypt. And things are about to, I mean, things are about to, things are going to go south from, for Pharaoh from here on out. But you have this, you have sort of Moses at his worst. You have God's people at their worst. You have Pharaoh at his strongest. And then you have this, this, this uh, genealogy. And for you and me, genealogies are just boring as could be right the first 10 chapters of num- the book of numbers are all like genealogies and you're like you got to be you got to be kidding me right but for the ancient world in fact for much of the non-western world today genealogies uh speak a tremendous amount of our character they speak of a past they speak of identity they speak of whose side you were on they speak that there's this recognition this this deep recognition that my identity is bound up with where I came from. That my culture, my, my ancestry, actually dictates a lot of who I am. And as Americans, we love this idea that whatever choices I make, 
I choose to be this, or I choose to identify as this, that that makes me who I am, when really so much of who we are is actually almost determined by the weight of our past. And I, so I think it's really fascinating that you have this genealogy here, because as Moses is at his most cynical, you kind of wonder, is there anything so, and he speaks of his own cynicism himself by his faltering lips, and then you go out and look in his past, and I'm not going to take the time, I'm going to highlight just one or two things here from this genealogy, but the past, his past is altogether pathetic. In fact, it's even, you might even say, perverse. If you look here, it's um, in this genealogy, just to make sense of it a little bit, it says, verse 14, it says, now these were the heads of the families, that is the families of, of, uh, of Jacob. You have Abraham, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. And the first of those three sons are mentioned here. The first, in verse 14, is Reuben. The sons of Reuben, and it lists them, okay? And then you have the secondborn, verse 15, the sons of Simeon. And then after that, you have the thirdborn, which is Levi, verse 16. These were the names of the sons of Levi. And then uh, the, the, the genealogy focuses on that third, the, the, the descendants of that third son, uh, Levi. And it gives the, the various uh, sons of Levi, Gershom, Kohath, etc. And then you, it continues down, and then you get to uh, verse 20. And guys, sorry, this is going to be a little hard to stomach, okay? But this just shows you the past and the pedigree of Aaron and Moses. You ready for what it says here? Amram married his father's sister. Now, I don't know how or why Amram thought that was a good idea. You know, maybe I'll meet him in the new heavens and new earth. I'll be like, Amram, let's sit down and talk. Like, when did that enter your mind as a great idea? I think I'll marry my father's sister. Anyway, but that's what happened, okay? And she, Jochebed is her name, bore him Aaron and Moses. So this is the sordid past of Aaron and Moses. This is their, this is their ancestry. Their pedigree, listen to this, their pedigree is at the very least pathetic and at worst perverse. There's nothing here to go, oh, this is so, he comes from good stock. You know, he'll, he'll come around. You know, deep down with inside him is this, you know, the old, you know, whatever. I mean, he just, he, it's going to, all the good genes are going to emerge at some point and he'll pull through. There's nothing here to commend either Moses or Aaron. So what I want to say here is that to begin our sort of outline, to, to, Moses here has, with, he has a bad past. He's got a bad past, and as we've already seen, and as Ron began to read for us this morning in verse 27, look, what do we see? This, this section in verses, uh, yeah, verse 28 and following here is now Aaron. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt. He said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh the king of Egypt everything I tell you. Verse 30, but Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? So Moses has a bad pedigree, a bad past, and he's got bad pronunciation. Right? He has neither the past nor the skills. So he's got nothing. With a bad past and a bad pronunciation, listen to this. Moses in verse, in chapter 1, as we enter chapter 7, Moses is given a job that's impossible. It's just amazing. Now listen, let's, let's jump into chapter 7 here. We read in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you, listen to this, this is, this, is, this is God addressing 
Moses' immediate concern of his faltering lips. Moses says, I can't even talk. I get before, I get before Pharaoh, and I'm like, right, I just, I just can't do this. And God says, okay, I'm going to accommodate you. See, I have made you, Moses, like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. So understand, in all this future exchange that happens between, God and, between Moses and Pharaoh, Aaron is actually the one actually doing the talking. Moses shows up, Aaron speaks. And so Aaron's this kind, he's the prophet, he's the go-between, he's the mediator. Because he's accommodating, God is accommodating Moses and saying, listen, I'm giving you Aaron to help you. Verse 2, you are to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Now here's the interesting part. I'm here, you, with, despite your past, despite your, your bad pronunciation, I'm going to give you this job and I want you to know for the 10th time, as he's told him a number of times already, I want you to know that it's impossible. What does he say? Verse 3, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He's not going to say, oh, because you're so, you, you pronounce things so badly or because you have bad pedigree. See, God addresses Moses' cynicism about himself by saying, you know what? It's not about you. It's not about your weakness. It's not about your inability. It's not about your lack of skills, your lack of money. All the things, all the self-doubt, God removes that. Yeah, he provides Aaron. He accommodates in various ways. But ultimately, it's not Aaron's rhetoric. It's not Aaron's skilled tongue that gets them rescued from Egypt. Okay, you hear me? Because God deliberately says, verse 3, I... Well, why is it not working? Why is it impossible? Because God himself is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he continues in verse 3, and though, I, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. And I know I've said this before, but I want to just pause and make it clear again. Why would God give Moses an impossible task? Why would he set up this situation? Why well, it just seems almost capricious, right? It almost seems cruel that God would place Moses in a situation that he doesn't have the pedigree, he doesn't have the skill set he needs, he just doesn't have any, and, and, and it's, it's going to fail. It's not going to work. You're going to go, you're going to do, I'm, I'm sending you, obey, go say this, knowing that it's not going to make a dent. But he still has to do it. He still has to obey. See, so often we, you know, I don't know about you, but so often I think about obeying, I go, you know what? It's not going to make a difference. It's not going to be effective. I can't connect the dots between me obeying, me fulfilling God's call, being me doing what he has, I know I need to do from his word. What he says is because you're, oh, it's not going to make a difference. It's not going to have effect. And, and, and Moses tell, God tells Moses, it's not going to work. And why? Why is that? He continues in verse 4. Then he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Israelites will know what? That Aaron's a great orator, 
Don't know that somehow Moses pulled it off because of his pedigree. He reached deep down with inside him and, you know, got to his roots. There's no other possible explanation for the deliverance of the Israelites than God's power. And in that message is a freedom and a tenacity that, listen, gang, what God is calling Moses to do is just simply obey. Take all your weakness, all of your incompetence, all that just doesn't make sense, all the seeming futility of the situation, and just simply go in there and say, let my people go. And give the rest to the Lord. There's a freedom in that. I'm just, I'm just going to obey, and then I'm going to go sit down and do my thing. You just give the rest to the Lord. I'm going to obey, do what he says. Not, not sitting there self-loathing. Oh, just, I'm just not who I should be. I'm not enough. There's this beautiful freedom from that. It's not this, oh, I'm just so angry at those politicians. How could Biden, how could Trump, how could, oh, there's, just, there's so much corruption. Look at this, oh, it's just so awful. And we get so animated, so heated, so frustrated. Or we don't get cynical with the church. I can't believe the church. Who are these people? It's simply God saying to Moses, go, obey. I'm giving you a job that's impossible. And why is it impossible? Why, does God, why would God do that? To prove that God is more powerful. More powerful than the people of God. More powerful than the politicians of this world. More powerful than our own personal inabilities. He can actually make it happen. And we see that. We see God's power in this beautiful story in, verse, uh, verse seven, in chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. I said we can walk through this quickly and we'll... Close it down. This is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Verse 8, top of page 53. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. Now, we've seen something similar to this before. Okay, we've seen Moses, you know, in chapter 4, when God said, here, do you, you know, what's that in your hand? You know, and he throws it down, etc., What's going on here? At one level, it seems pretty, it just seems kind of random. At another level, there's actually a lot going on. There's a lot of, there's a lot of meaning and symbolism here, okay? Um, on the, 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 uh, the, the head dressing or the crown that the pharaoh would wear, most of, maybe some of you have seen that before, there's actually something protruding from the crown. You know what it is? It's a snake. It's an asp. Or, actually, it's often a cobra. And there was actually something else protruding that, for, for some reason, my brain is, is keeping up. There were two different things protruding there, and one of them, the, the asper, the, the, the cobra, um, stands for what would be Lower Egypt. And Lower Egypt is, is, this sounds kind of backward, but it's actually the Nile area. There were two halves of Egypt, the Upper Nile, Upper Egypt, Lower Egypt. Lower Egypt is where the, the Nile is lower. And that's the center. That's where, that's where everything, what we think of Egypt, comes to be Egypt. And the serpent, or a snake, was the symbol of lower Egypt. It became the symbol, actually, of just Egypt as a whole. It was, listen to this, the serpent, the cobra especially, was the mascot of Egypt. And so God says to Moses, what I want you to do is, well, tell, tell Aaron to throw his, to throw his, uh, his uh, staff down, 
And it's become a, it's gonna become a mascot. <laughs> it's gonna become Israel's, Egypt's mascot. And you know, where is this going, right? So, and not only that, but understand that a, 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 a staff isn't just a staff. You kind of walk along and just kind of every, you know, back in the day, that's what you did if you were a guy, you had a staff and you just, whatever. A staff was a symbol of what? Of authority. In fact, you can translate the word staff as scepter. Okay? Does that make sense? So like a scepter, a sense of, of, of power, of authority. And so now we're starting to, this is interesting. Now here's Moses with their staff, or Aaron with his staff, and he's going to take it. And this is his power. And that symbol of power as a staff is going to become the mascot of the Egyptian power, Egyptian authority, of the Egyptian realm. This is getting interesting. And then as we read here, it says, verse 10, it says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Now this is what's so, this is what's so fascinating. What happens next? It's not like, what Pharaoh's like, ooh. It's not, it's not what we think. It's not this sort of dragged, uh, what's the word? It's not this knockdown argument. Pharaoh is able to do something. Verse 11, then Pharaoh summoned his wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. And you got to wonder, like, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I anticipate that Moses and Aaron probably didn't see this coming. <laughs> right? You're like, hey, we're going to throw the snake. Woo! You know, right? And then it's like, this is going to be awesome. And then, and then it's like... Oh, they just did the same thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're like, now what? Right? You're in this moment where like, we, I, mean, I don't think there's some measure of comedy in this where Moses and Aaron kind of look at each other and go, no, oh crap. You know, like, you know, now what? You know what I mean? Like, we thought this was sort of like a knockdown argument. Like, ha-ha, you know? <laughs> and, and there's this moment where and, you know, Pharaoh summons his guys and they're all like, oh yeah, that's easy. No problem. In that moment, Aaron... And Moses is going, what are we going to do? And the question, of course, is what? What is God going to do? And what does God do? Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Now, don't forget the symbolism. A staff of authority symbolized in a serpent. Why a serpent? Because serpents are sly. They're shrewd. They don't know where they're going. Right? That's why they're so scary. Right? You see a snake, you're like, ah! Right? I mean, you, just kinda, you, 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 you run from you keep your distance because you have no idea. And it's slithering. You have no idea where it's going. That's the whole symbolism of serpent. A serpent is unpredictable danger. It's unpredictable uh, sense of, like, you have no idea what's going to happen, therefore it's in control. It's able to control it's able to get its way to do whatever it wants because you have no idea what's going to happen. And that's why it was a symbol of Egyptian power. It was power predicated on unpredictability. It's the mascot. And what just happened? Egyptian's mascot was just eaten by its own. Does that make sense? It was eaten by a power, a scepter greater. And if you're Pharaoh, and if you're a servant, and you're honestly watching this, it's your turn to go, 
oh crap, right? It's your turn to go, that did not happen. That did not, that's not what we were expecting. And not what Moses and Aaron were expecting. No one saw that coming. God purposed it to show that his scepter, that you're not, you are not, listen to this, you are not going to outfox Yahweh. You're not going to outslither Yahweh. You're not going to somehow maneuver in any sort of way for all your power, for all, all of your resources, all of this stuff, Pharaoh. You are not going to get your way. You might as well surrender now. And what does he? What, was it, what does the text say? Verse 13. Yet Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them. What? Just as the Lord had said. Okay? Listen. It's all a setup. Do you believe that? It's all a setup. Yahweh's setting this whole thing up. Right? You'd almost even call it a hustle. <laughs> right? I mean, Yahweh is in charge from the beginning to the end. He knows exactly. Listen, Pharaoh is a pawn in the Almighty's palms. Do you believe that? Do you look at the princes of this world and all their defiance, all their hardness of heart, all their, oh yeah, I can do that. And I tell you what, gang, this, this passage is so powerful from a perspective of political theology because, listen to this, more than ever, liberal democracies, I believe, a liberal democracy like America's, more than ever, its political power has a capacity that is almost godlike. We're like, look at what God can do. See, the staff is going to become a snake. And it's like, well, yeah, look what the United States of America can do. We'll come up with a vaccine. Or we'll, you know, whatever it is, we'll come up with all these solutions that appear to be so miraculous, that appear to be so helpful. We're going to save the world. America is what? This is one of the most, what is this? Sorry, just give me a second. This is one of the most classic misuses of Scripture. It's been the last 200 years. In fact, it's in the last 40 to 50 years, almost every American president, Republican and Democrat, has used this phrase from Scripture. America is a city on a, a hill. That's what we are. America, we're going to save the world. We're a city on a hill. Of course, that's from Matthew 5. It's from Jesus, speaking of whom? The church. God's people. And America somehow just, whoop, oh, we're, no, we're the new church. American power, American political power, we're going to redeem and rescue and save. Moses is right to be cynical about the people of God on their own. He is right to be cynical about political power on its own. He's right to be cynical about himself on his own. But if he misses the majesty, the authority the serpent-like slyness of our God. That he is working his purposes in ways that no one sees coming. Okay, you got a bunch of snakes on the ground, that are, there's a bunch of staffs on the ground that become snakes. What's going to happen now? <laughs> right? I mean, I just, I just would have loved to have been there. Everyone's just kind of watching it. Oh, like this, the snake just eating up all the other snakes or whatever it was. We don't even quite know a tanin in Hebrew. A tanin is like a reptile-like creature. We don't know if it's a crocodile. We have no idea what, what these actually were. 
but it was something, some sort of reptile-like like creature. But, but, but Aaron eats everyone else's, and you just got to wonder, you know, what was happening afterward in the pub, and, you know, in the, you know, on the, the bar on the way home, all the servants are talking about what happened. It's like, man, this doesn't bode well. This looks grim, right? So with that, I want you to hear, again, with a bad past, really bad pronunciation, Moses is given a job, that's impossible. Why? To prove God is more powerful. More powerful than princes, more powerful than his people, more powerful than all of our problems. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father.